David Spada is a successful attorney whose dream was to become a sports talk show host. Elliot Harris is a Chicago sports columnist who wanted to expand his media presence. In the next hour, they combine their talents and love of sports and women by interviewing former professional athletes and lovely ladies on sports and torts. But keeping the boys out of trouble isn't always easy because when David and Elliot are together, they have more fun than should be legal. Welcome to another edition of Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com with David Spada and Elliot Harris. I am Elliot Harris, and we have a great show today. A couple of Baseball Hall of Fame pitchers, both distinct, one known for his knuckleball, one known for his mustache. We have Phil Negro and Raleigh Fingers. First up, an interview that David conducted with Raleigh Fingers. I see that the Dodgers drafted you originally. How come you didn't uh, end up playing with them? What ended up happening there? Because their farm system was loaded back in the 60s. Uh, well, you know, at the time, um, it was in 1964, and uh, I played on an American Legion team, and uh, our team from Upland, California, went all the way back to Little Rock, Arkansas, and won the World Series. And that's where all the scouts saw me. All of a sudden, I had a, and I was... Uh, voted, uh, the player of the year in American Legion and I led the nation in hitting. So there were a lot of scouts there and, and, uh, some of the scouts liked me as a pitcher, some of the scouts liked me as a hitter. So, um, uh, that, that winter after the World Series, the Dodgers and, uh, Pittsburgh were interested and then Kansas City was interested and the Dodgers, uh, uh, had offered me a contract of, uh, 20,000 bucks and my dad said no. He said, uh, you do not want to sign with the Los Angeles Dodgers, even though I was a big Dodger fan growing up as a kid. Uh, he said, no, because of, you know, at the time they had Gofax and Drysdale. And, uh, you know, they had a great team and, and their minor league system consisted of about 20 teams back then. I mean, I would have been buried. So, uh, my dad said no. And about a week and a half later, uh, Art Lilly from Kansas City A's, uh, knocked on the door and, uh, uh, at that time, they were in last place, needed pitching, and my dad said, okay. So I took, really, uh, the Dodgers offered me 20000 bucks, and uh, Kansas City offered me 13000 bucks. So I, uh, I signed with Kansas City, got my 13000 bucks, gave my dad three, bought my mom a sewing machine, and I bought a 56 Chevy. And uh, I blew the rest, so <laughs> it went pretty quick. Did you <laughs> but that's your- why I went with Kansas City. Did you tell your dad, listen, you cost me seven grand. You shouldn't get anything out of this signing bonus. <laughs> no, I wasn't going to argue with my dad. He seemed to know what was going on. And, uh, you know, he, he did his research on the Dodger system and, and saw what, they, you know, Kansas City at the time had like five or six teams in, in, the, in their minor leagues and Dodgers had about 20. So, uh, I mean, the Dodgers were absolutely signing just about everybody you could think of, uh, all the top prospects and, and Charlie Finley at the same time, uh, you know, he, he had hired a pretty good scouting system and he, uh, he went for pitching. He, he, I think he signed like, uh, eight or nine of the top pitchers in the country at the time. So, um, a couple of, a couple of guys got to the big leagues, including myself. Do you still have that, uh, 56 or 57 Chevy? Oh no, I wrecked it a couple of times. It's, uh, it's long gone. I wish I had it now though. It would have been worth some money. It was nice. <laughs> I see that in the minor leagues that you got hit by a ball. Did that affect you when you went back out pitching? Did you fear that every time a ball got hit back to you, they might hit you? 
you know, you're a little skeptical, and that, you know, I, when I came back, I was out for two months, and uh, a funny story, I was at a banquet in Cincinnati, and uh, uh, I was sitting at the, at the dais, and I'm waiting to give a, you know, a little talk, uh, and a guy comes up to me at the uh, at the dais, and he says, do you remember that curveball you threw at me in, in uh, Birmingham, Alabama on opening night? And I said, are you Fred Kovner? And he says, yep, and it was Fred Kovner, the guy that hit me in the face with the line drive. And uh, this was, 40, was about 40 years after. <laughs> after the fact, 45 years after the fact, and he said he wanted to come to the banquet. He knew I was going to be there, and he wanted to apologize for hitting me. And I said, look, you know, don't worry about it. You know, it uh, taught me a lesson. I got my glove up after that. But, uh, you know, you're a little nervous, and uh, I had to face him uh, my first game back after I uh, after I got hit. And, uh, uh, you know, it's just something that it didn't really – uh, think about, I didn't really think about it that much. I just got real lazy on one pitch and uh, didn't get my glove up, and I got hit. So, he's, you know, any young pitchers, always make sure you have your glove up there because it comes back at you pretty quick. You were a starter in the minor leagues. How did you end up being a closer, a relief pitcher? Uh, well, you know, I got to the big leagues as a starter. I had a few good starts. I had, you know, four or five complete games. Um, and uh, through a couple shutouts. But uh, it just got to the point where I couldn't get out of the third inning. And uh, Dick Williams was our manager in 1971, and he had seen enough. And uh, uh, he farmed me off to the bullpen. And I was more or less a mop-up guy in 1971, about midseason. And um, uh, we were having a game in, in New York, and we were getting beat like 11 to 11 to 3. And all of a sudden, we were winning 13 to 11 in the eighth inning. And we came back, and I'm the only guy left. He's used the whole pitching staff, and so uh, he's got to use me. And I come in at the Yankee Stadium and pitch two shutout innings and get a save. And uh, the next night, uh, we'd gone to, I believe, Boston, and I came in and pitched three innings in Boston and got a save. And he called me in his office and said, from now on, uh, you're my closer. And I said, you know, that's fine, great, you know, because I was on my way out of baseball. I was on my way to the minor leagues because, I, I mean, they couldn't get you out. I mean, that's how bad it was. It was, it was horrible. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I kind of found a home down there. I wasn't going to argue with him. I started doing the job, getting guys out. And uh, in game situations, he started going to me. And I, I saved 17 ball games from about midseason on in 71. He threw you right in the fire. I mean, two of the hardest places to pitch, Yankee Stadium and Fenway Park. Oh, yeah. Well, he figured if I could do it at those two ballparks, I could do it just about anywhere. So um, he, uh, he kept using me, and I, I kept doing the job. You know, I didn't get you know, everybody out all the time, but, you know, 85 90% of the time I was doing my job. And, uh, you know, in 1971, we had a great team. And, uh, you know, if I did make a mistake and gave up a run, we usually came back and scored something. So. Um, that's how I became a relief pitcher because I was on my way out of baseball. I owed all the Williams. That ace team back in the early 70s, they were just loaded, and he had a bunch of characters. What was it like playing for that team? Uh, we had a lot of fun. Uh, you know, we all came up through the minor leagues. It's not like it is today where, you know, you get a lot of free agency. This is before free agency. And uh, we, uh, we all played together. I mean, I remember Reggie Jackson joining us in Modesto, California, as a young kid out of ASU. Uh, Joe Rudy and Dave Duncan were on that team. Uh, Tony Garusso was my second baseman. Uh, you know, then we had other guys that were playing in Burlington, Iowa, Vida Blue and Gene Tennis. And uh, Sal Bando and Rick Monday came up from Birmingham, Alabama, or from Mobile, Alabama. So we, um, you know, everybody came up through the minor leagues that were on those world championship teams, and we, uh, and we played together. Uh, and we all hit the big leagues about the same time, right around 1969, 1970, 68. And, uh, 
we played together for a couple of years and everything started to gel. I mean, we knew what to expect of each other. Um, you know, we were fundamentally strong. We didn't make any mental errors and, uh, and we played good and we, uh, had a great timely hit and good defense. I mean, uh, that's what it takes to win. Who was the leader on those teams? Oh, golly. Uh, well, Sal, Sal Bando was our captain. Uh, you know, uh, he was really into the, into the game. He knew the hitters. Uh, there was a lot of times that the hitter came up. I didn't know who he was or, you know, what kind of a hitter he was. Sal Bando always knew. He always said in the meetings, always knew the hitters. Uh, and so he was more or less our captain. Uh, you know, Reggie Jackson was a pretty good leader when it came to offense. He, you know, Reggie loved the, uh, Loved the TV camera when the red when the red light came on on the TV camera. That's when he that's when he was his best, and uh, uh, you know that's true. And you know as we got into the World Series of the years, and you know with the Oakland A's and with the uh, New York Yankees, he uh, he always rose to the occasion with home runs. And um, but we you know we had a, a whole bunch of guys. Uh, Catfish Hunter, uh, he was our leader on our pitching staff. Uh, uh, you know, we could always depend on him. Uh, if I ever needed a game to win, I would hand the ball to Catfish. And uh, we also had Ken Holtzman and Vita Blue. These guys were winning 20 games every year, and they're going out. You know, they're, the staff's complete in 55, 55, 60 ball games a year. And so, uh, you know, they were a strong pitching staff, and uh, that's how we won. We we didn't win so much on offense as we did on uh, pitching. Uh, we only had one guy that hit 300, and that was Joe Rudy, and I think he hit 304 one year. So, um, uh, you know, our pitching staff was uh, was where it was at, and uh, you know, we we didn't lose the two two to one games, the three to two ball games. We, those are the ones we usually won. What made Dick Williams such a good manager? Uh, he was a fundamentalist. Uh, you know, he'd been down the road. Everybody respected him, uh, he, and I think he did one thing that uh, that uh, managers need to know how to do, and that's run a pitching staff. He he knew what the what guys uh, that he wanted to bring in. He knew who did well against certain guys. Um, he was a strategist. Uh, he knew the game. He's been around. He was around it for a long time. But uh, he didn't know how to run the pitching staff, and the pitching staff that we had was perfect for him. He, uh, he knew what he was doing. Do you think there's ever going to be another team that could be champion three straight years like you were in 72, 73, and 74? Uh, I don't know. It's it's going to be pretty tough. <laughs> I don't, you don't think you see too many three-feats. Uh, uh, to, in today's game, you know, with free agency, uh, you know, the, you know, a guy's contract comes up, he may be your number one, number two ball player, and all of a sudden he's going to some other team. And, you know, guys jump around too much, I think, nowadays, uh, with free agency. You know, they're, they're going after the money, and who can blame them? I mean, the money is staggering nowadays. Uh, and, uh, I think that's one reason why you're not going to see those things happen. And this, right now, I, I don't know what's causing it, but there's so many injuries. I mean, uh, so many pitchers are on the disabled. I think someone told me yesterday that there's 70 pitchers already on the disabled list in the big leagues. I mean, that's crazy. And, you know, in Oakland, when I played there, I don't ever remember Catfish or Vita Blue or, or Kenny Holston being on the disabled list for five years. And they were throwing 250, 300 innings a year. Uh, but I don't know what it is nowadays with the injuries that these guys are getting. I don't think they throw enough to build up the arm strength. I mean, they throw harder, yeah. but they baby the arms. Yeah, that's possible. I mean, uh, I mean, I don't know if I could do it the way they they do it today. I mean, I needed a lot of work to stay sharp. I needed my 120, 25, 30, 35 innings a year, uh, you know, to stay sharp. I didn't mind going out there for three or four innings. That's how you you see you get sharp. You know, if you throw one inning and then you wait two days until one more inning, and you know, I don't think I could do that. I I, I needed a lot of work. 
what made you successful as a closer? Was it just the amount of work, or was it your pitches? Uh, it's, uh, really, you need the three things that, that, uh, every pitcher needs to be successful in the big leagues. You need control, you need control, and you need control. You don't have those three things, you're going to have a problem, especially as a closer. You have to get first pitch strike. You have to have an idea where you're throwing the ball. You have to be able to throw the ball where you want to. Uh, you know, you're not going to throw it there every time, but, uh, you know, you got to be pretty consistent in the area, uh, throwing strikes, uh, and when you miss, if you miss, don't miss on the plate. Miss off the plate. If you're if you're going to try to throw a fastball away for a strike, you know, don't miss on the plate. Miss away. And you know, if you miss away, it's a ball. If you miss on the plate, it's a home run. So uh, you know, I think that's the way. You know, but just being able to throw the ball in the area, I think that is your biggest asset as as a closer. And then you have to learn how to pitch. You can't teach pitching. You have to learn how to pitch. You have to take the the arsenal of pitches that you throw out on the mound, and you start experimenting. And what what works for you? What uh, what sequence of pitches you know uh, is going to work for you to get guys out? And uh, when you figure that out, uh, then you're going to be successful. I mean, I watched Kenny Holtzman in, in Oakland uh, and Catfish Hunter. They were both, you know, they weren't overpowering, but they had great control, great command of their pitches, and they didn't make mistakes. And that's why they won 20 games. I remember when you went, when you went to the Brewers and played with the over-the-hill game, they called it. I mean, you had some great players there in Cecil Cooper, Ogilvy, Pete Vukovic, yourself, and you played for a great manager in Harvey King. What was that like? Uh, I was fine in Milwaukee. I would have hated to have had to face, you know, our lineup. I mean, um, they were deep and they were all great hitters. You know, Mal- Paul Malder, uh, Robin Yount, Cecil Cooper, Ben Ogilvy, Ken Simmons, you know, Gorman Thomas. Uh, I mean, you know, Ken Jim Gantner. We had the best double play combination in baseball with Gantner and Yount. Uh, you know, a couple of Hall of Famers in there. Uh, you know, Fitz. We had pretty good pitching. Pitching could have probably been a little bit better, but uh, Mike Caldwell pitched real well. Moose Haas, Pete Bukovic won the Cy Young one year. So, I mean, we had a great ball club in the early 80s, 81, 82, 83. And, uh, uh, you know, we had, we had a lot of fun. It's always fun when you win. And, and that ball club uh, in Milwaukee, if you put a winner in, in the, on, on the ball field in Milwaukee, you're going to draw a lot of people. We had some great fans. Did you have a t- the toughest uh, hitter you faced? Who was it? Uh, probably a guy you would never even think about. Uh, in fact, he just passed away recently. I was Ed Herman. He used to be a catcher for the White Sox. I think I faced him 25 times, and he got 13 hits off me. I couldn't get him out. I was just one of those guys that uh, you know he's coming up to the plate, and you know you know he's going to get a hit. And uh, you know, then I, I would you know face Rod Carew and the Pete Rose and George Brett, and I always managed to get those guys out, but. Uh, uh, Ed Herman was a toughest hitter for me in a game situation. I didn't want to face him. I almost got to the point where I told him what was going to come, you know, because I knew he was going to hit it anyway. So. <laughs> How did the mustache come about? Uh, me too. Um, at spring training, Reggie Dixon put a mustache and didn't want to shave it off. So uh, it was about three or four of us guys and catfish and Daryl Nobles. We decided we were going to grow mustaches, and if we grew mustaches, then Dick Williams, our manager, would say, okay, guys, cut them off. And because at the time, there were no, uh, there was no facial hair in the big legs. So um, Charlie finally got wind of what was going on. He, uh, he liked the idea of mustaches, and so he uh, told everybody on the club, if uh, you make the ball club and on opening day you have a mustache, you get 300 bucks. And that's the only reason why we started growing mustaches, was to get 300 bucks out of Charlie. And, you know, back then, that was a week's salary, so... Uh, uh, we didn't mind doing it, and uh, all of a sudden we started winning. I think we started the season, I think we were 9-2 and two or something. I mean, we were just uh, clubbing everybody, and, you know, the ball players are the most superstitious animals in the world. 
And uh, we kept him, and we ended up winning the World Series in 72. And we won it in 73, won it in 74, and, you know, became the mustache gang. And, and um, you know, it kind of stuck. So we uh, we kept him for, for years after that. And uh, I've never shaved mine off. There's a couple guys that I still have. I think Joe Rudy has never shaved his off. So, uh, Gene Tennis has shaved his off and grown it back a couple of times. So. But um, it was it was fun, you know. We uh, we had some characters on that team, but uh, we all had mustaches and got three hundred bucks from Charlie. That was the key. <laughs> what was Charlie like as an owner? A pain in the neck. <laughs> uh, nobody really liked him. Uh, you know, he he's the only owner in the history of the game that's put a diamond in a World Series or seventy three and seventy four rings that we got. Uh, he just put a piece of green glass in it. That was it. And so um, he. Um, he didn't really treat the players that good. The contract time was, was was horrible because he was also the general manager, so he had to deal directly with him for contracts. And this was before agents. And um, uh, I, you know, I hated it. Uh, I mean, in 1972, I was making twenty nine thousand dollars, and we won the World Series, and uh, saved two games and won one game. We beat the Reds, and Charlie sent me a one thousand dollar raise. And uh, I said, that was it. I called Charlie up. I told him what I thought of his raise. I slammed the phone down. I got Jerry Capstein as an agent. And I never talked to the man again after that. For the next five years with the Oakland A's, I never said one word to Charlie Finley. And uh, most of the guys were in the same boat that I was. They hated negotiating with him because he uh, just didn't want to part with his money, no matter how good you were. Did you have a favorite team to play for or a favorite uh, manager to play for? Uh, Dick. Dick Williams. Uh, he was uh, he was the guy who kept me in the big leagues. He was the guy who changed my career around. You know, you know, he uh, he had enough confidence in me to uh, keep me as a closer, and uh, that was my bread and butter. I had the type of arm where I could throw every day, and he uh, threw me out there and uh, you know gave me the ball. That's what you want. You want your manager to give you the ball. If he has confidence in you enough to, to do that, then uh, you know that gives you confidence. So uh, yeah, I'd have to say Dick Williams would be the one guy that. Uh, but, you know, as far as the manager goes, I mean, I played 17 years in big leagues and I had 14 managers. Dick was there the longest. He was there three years. So every time I have a good year, a manager gets fired. I, I don't know what to do. <laughs> you won a ton of awards, but I think the hardest award you won was the MVP because it's difficult enough for a starter to get it, but for a closer, it's impossible almost. Very few have done yeah. you, Willie Hernandez. It's the only two I can think of. Yeah, I think uh, Murray had a great year. Somebody had a great year that year also, and I wasn't expecting it. You know, uh, I you know I, I knew I might be high on the list for the Cy Young Award, but I didn't know uh, Jim McCaddy. I think it was uh, uh, for um, for Oakland had a great year that year. But you know, uh, I, when I won both, uh, I was certainly surprised. I didn't expect the MVP award, uh, but uh, you know, I was happy to get it. You know, not that many guys had done that, and. Uh, so you know, it was certainly a great honor, and uh, it was it was nice to nice to have that kind of year. When people say that a closer or a pitcher shouldn't get the MVP, what's your opinion on that? Uh, I don't, you know, I think there's a, there's been other pitchers that have won MVPs. Um, uh, I think if you have a good enough year, I think if you're the kind of a player that uh, uh, can carry a team for for the whole year. Uh, you know, if you go out there and you're a starting pitcher and you win 25, 26 ball games, and uh, you have a great ERA, you win the big ball games. Uh, um, you know, you have a lot of complete games. Uh, why not? I mean, MVP is an MVP no matter what position you're at. So, uh, 
uh, you know, you uh, had that type of year and you voted in, certainly, I think you're, uh, I think you're able to get it. I remember you from the TV commercials in the uh, 80s. How do you spell relief? Do you still spell relief that way? Uh, I haven't done any TV commercials, of, you know, for how you spell relief. That was a Rolaids thing, and uh, uh, I didn't do really any commercials for Rolaids. It was just the name of the, the award, and then I think they stopped giving I think they're coming up with a new award now for relief pitchers right now. So, so uh, but um, I, did, I did a couple of, I did a McDonald's commercial when I was in Milwaukee, and I did a Pepsi, Pepsi uh, commercial here, you know, in the last couple of years, but not a whole lot of commercials. They weren't thrown my way that much. So, um, you know, <laughs> I didn't mind it. How did you feel when you found out you were going into the Hall of Fame? Uh, it, was, it was nice. You know, I, I missed it the first year in 1991. Uh, you know, I think Rod Carew, Gail Perry, a couple other guys went in. There was about four guys that went in, and I missed it. Uh, I missed it, like, by 30 votes, I think. And then... Uh, um, the next year, uh, uh, Tom Seaver and, and I were on the ballot, and I figured, well, if there's a chance to get in, it's going to be this year. So uh, I made it by 30 points, so by 30, 30 votes. So, uh, you know, it was exciting. You know, it's uh, you never know. You never know how the sports writers are going to vote. And, uh, uh, you know, and especially I had really nothing to gear myself off of as to, you know, other relief pitcher. The only other relief pitcher that was in the hall was Hoyt Wilhelm. Uh, he was a knuckleballer. He played, uh, you know, years before me, and he was, uh, you know, he was a starter and relief pitcher. So, um, as a, you know, as a closer, I was really the first one to get in. It was specifically just really a closing pitcher, and so um, uh, I wasn't sure if I was going to get in or not. But uh, I was happy I did. It's uh, certainly a great honor. I mean, it uh, doesn't get any better than that. I mean, you, uh, you know, you win awards, you win Cy Youngs, you win MVPs. Uh, uh, Fireman of the Year awards, but you know, these are awards you win over the course of just one year. And getting into the Hall of Fame, that's, that's something that took 17 years for me. So uh, it's certainly a, a, you know, the greatest honor any player could get. When you would go to the Hall of Fame, you'd see all the great Hall of Famers. Is there one that stood out? You said, I can't believe I'm in the Hall of Fame with this guy. Oh, yeah. Well, I grew up as a kid from Brooklyn. Um, I became a Dodgers fan. I lived about 20 miles from LA. So I, you know, I knew all the, I knew all the, uh, the Dodger players. I knew, you know, Duke Snyder, Joe Hodges, uh, from John Maury Wills. I knew all of them. I knew their numbers. I mean, I was a huge Dodger fan, but my idol, uh, you know, all of Sandy Koufax. If, uh, you know, Sandy Koufax was uh, pitching, I was listening. So, uh, and now all of a sudden I'm sitting at, uh, in Cooperstown and we're, we're sitting at the same table having dinner. You know, it's, <laughs> it's kind of crazy, but, uh, we've, you know, we've become good friends now. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Raleigh Fingers that David conducted. After this brief break, we'll be back with a man who had a career record of 318 and 274 with the Milwaukee and Atlanta Braves, the Yankees, the Cleveland Indians, and the Toronto Blue Jays, Phil Necro. You're listening to Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com. Mm-hmm. 